You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 29 West Tolpehawken Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Hi, everyone. I'm Tessa. Um, I'm originally from outside of Baltimore, D.C., it's right in the middle in Columbia, Maryland. <laughs> so some of you know where that is. <laughs> I've been attending Circle for about four years, um, but I originally came up here to go to college out at Eastern University. Hi. Um, <laughs> uh, I now uh, live out in Germantown, like literally walked here, and I am in a graduate program at Villanova, studying to get my master's in history. I'm also the hosting coordinator here, so if you want to host or be a hosting apprentice, you now know what I look like and you can talk to me. Um, in all my spare time, I also uh, teach high school history to 9th, 10th, and 11th graders in South Philly. Um, and I absolutely love everything about it. I love what I do. Um, most of you probably know I teach high school because I talk about it all the time. It's about the only conversation starter I have. Um, and so today I'm going to tell you how teaching high schoolers um, helps me relate to the Bible. Um, so the first thing I'm going to talk about is a little story from my high schoolers. Um, so, Joel, this is for you because you were very confused by this picture earlier. Um, that is Montezuma in Cortez, not the Incas, it is the Aztecs. Um, so the Aztecs are a people group um, originally in the greater Mexico area, some parts of Guatemala and some parts farther down as well. Um, and Montezuma uh, was their leader, Montezuma II, actually, if you want to be real specific. Um, and Hernan Cortez, the guy on the left, he is a Spanish conquistador um, that comes and eventually conquers the Aztecs. Um, you now have the same information that my high schoolers get before I like to trick them a little bit. Um, so they have to read, which is their favorite thing to do. Um, and so I give them the first document, document A. And they read this document, and they find out that Cortez our fancy guy in the armor, um, was believed by the Aztecs to be a god um, and that they worshipped him, they gave him riches, they loved him, were going to give him the throne. He was wonderful to them. Great. Moving on, they read document B and they hear a similar story. Um, you know, Cortez um, was believed to be a god. Not only that, they believed him to be Quetzalcoatl, who was the sun god, who was coming and in that exact year, he was supposed to come. He comes, and they have to impress him. They have to show him great gratitude, because if they don't, and they anger Quetzalcoatl, he will not rise the sun. And that's very bad, because they will starve. Great. But then I like to do, which I do best, and make them angry, and I shatter everything they knew from those two documents. And I give them document C. And this is where things are a little bit different, because in this document, they learn that the Aztecs actually speak in a hidden way to avoid, avoid insulting their guests. The Aztecs are warriors, and so they say the exact opposite of what they mean as a war strategy, to actually learn about their opponents, make them comfortable, and then turn on them when they know about their weapons and their strategies. So when the Aztecs say, oh yes, you're a god, they're actually being a little sarcastic. And when they say, oh yes, please tell us about all your weapons, you magnificent God, that's on purpose. The Aztecs don't actually believe this. So now my students are mad at me and confused because they think I've lied to them, which I have, um, and they want more answers because they want a definite understanding of how did Cortez you know, relate to the Aztecs? How do they actually interpret him? So now my students have to go back and reread the documents. But this time I ask them to do two things. 
first thing they need to do is source information. So who wrote this and to whom did they write it? The second thing they have to do is contextualize that. So try to understand what does that mean when we learn who wrote it and to who. So I go back and read document A, and they find out that document A that said Cortez was a, a god and a king, Cortez actually wrote to the Spanish king. It's his letter to Spain. And my students are very smart, and they realize, well, of course he said that he was believed to be a god. He's trying to get money from his boss. He wants to look good. Of course he's going to maybe elaborate a little bit on what's happening in the real story. And document B, they're a little more trusting of it first, because they learned that document B is written by the Aztecs. So maybe they did think he was Quetzalcoatl. But then they look again at that sourcing information at the bottom of our documents, and they see that yes, it was written by the Aztecs under the supervision of the Spanish. And then the Spanish also edited those documents later. So maybe they don't believe those fully. And the document C, the one who said that the Aztecs culturally aren't very blunt, um, that they sometimes lie to strategize against their opponents, they learned that this document is a, or a collaboration of anthropological studies, historical studies, sociological studies, and just all around includes those documents that they had read already. So it takes all that into account into this thesis um, that they have learned. Great. They still don't know what to do. Don't worry. It's fine. So we're going to do a nice transition, and that'll all come together at the end. And we're going to look at the woman at the well. This is two slides. Could I have someone nice and loud who can see this read this for me? When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew of the gift of God and who it is, that asks you for a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. John 4, 7 through 15. All right. So we're going to do a little activity because I'm a teacher and I have to do at least one, right? We're going to do a little think, pair, share. Those of you thinking back, you're so excited. I can see it in your faces. Don't worry, I'm going to tell you, Joel. What you're going to do is I want you to first think about what stood out to you. Maybe nothing, but hopefully you can pretend to something. Tell my students, just make it up if you don't actually remember anything. And I want you to pair with someone in the group. So maybe make eye contact with that person right now. It could be two or three people. I won't, I won't judge you. It's okay. And then go ahead and take 30 seconds and share with someone near you just what stood out to you. What did you see? What did you notice? Go ahead. All right. Voices off in five. Eyes up front in four. Body still in three, 
two, and one. Wow, you guys responded better than my classroom does. Good job. Could I have two people raise your hand and share with the class? What's one thing that stood out to you? Go ahead. She's holding a bucket. What else? One more, one more person. Joel. Uh, I, I noticed that she totally believed Jesus and she was just confused about how he was going to get the water. That yeah. was her only concern. Yeah. So when I first read this story, I really, I didn't think much of it. I just like, cool, this woman wants water. Jesus offers her God. Great. Jesus doing what he does. Amazing. But this summer, um, I went to a conference um, and I had the opportunity to meet with a Jewish rabbi. And he provided a little more context for me. Um, see, my students are asked to source, and I realized I never really intentionally sourced the Bible. Meaning, I didn't consider that it was written by Jewish people to a Jewish audience, and Jesus is Jewish. And so I just read it straight through and forgot about all of that. Now, a little disclaimer is that I'm going to share with you what, with what one Jewish rabbi shared with me but there's a lot of different interpretations. There's a lot of different things you could draw out of this. Um, so he does not speak for all Jewish people as I do not speak for all Christian people. So the first thing I'd like to point out is that Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman and asks her for water. So you're like, yeah, that's great. But because she's Samaritan, by default in Jewish customs, she would be considered impure. He should not be talking to her, and he especially should not be asking for water from the same well that she is at, because that well is automatically impure on its own right, because she's there, and she's, she's drinking water from it. But Jesus completely ignores this, right? He's doing what I've always heard Jesus is doing, which is completely ignoring the social norms. But what really gets me, and what was explained to me, and I didn't really notice before, is that the woman also knows this. Right? And she challenges him. She doesn't just blindly accept that Jesus being nice to her. She says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And I kind of read that as a little sassy. She's, really, she's coming back at Jesus. She's challenging what, he had, well, what he's doing. Second thing that I did not notice when I did not put this in a Jewish context is that Jesus talks about the spring water and the running water found deep in Jacob's well. And to me, I know Jacob's someone in the Bible. I know that water's important, but it really means nothing more than that to me. What I learned is that he's talking a lot about spiritual refreshment. Jesus is referencing directly Jeremiah. Right? And he's using a play on words that I didn't pick up on. He's using this play on words, living water and the gift of God, which are phrases that directly refer to the Torah. And the Torah, if you don't know, is the first five, or excuse me, is the five books uh, in the Hebrew scripture and it's also the first five books in the Christian Bible. And so Jesus is intentionally referencing the Torah. And that I didn't notice. And the third thing is that once again, the woman is kind of sassy back to Jesus. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? That should have been her comeback. It's done, over, we move on, and that's the end of the story. But Jesus, being Jesus, does something different, and he says something different. He says that she can partake in this water, and that's a little strange. Again, I need not remind you, she's Samaritan, and she has been kind of sassy to Jesus, and now he's offering her something that he, she didn't even think was on the table. A big overview 
is that Jesus was intentional. He references Jacob. He talks with her. She responds back in a way that is understandable. And Jesus, he's kind of strange, but he isn't just flipping the script as I often think of about Jesus. He didn't just change what we thought he was going to do. He used the Jewish customs in life that I completely missed. He used the customs in life to add meaning to a story that to me didn't have a lot of meaning. He uses the Torah. He references Jacob and Jeremiah. Jesus uses what is expected, but he also flips what is expected. And when I read that as me in 2019, not as a Jewish person, I don't consider that, when I don't consider the context, I miss a lot, and this is so much more meaningful to me. Because I see Jesus now as clever and intentional and ready to use what I already know to meet me where I am. What I ask my students to do with Matazuma and Cortez and documents, I often need to remind myself to do with the Bible. Because at face value, can I miss all that cleverness, all the intentionality, and all the use of context that I so deeply teach. So, I'm going to read The Woman at the Well one more time. And this time, maybe add some of that context. Maybe consider some of the things you know in your own context. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. John 4, 7 through 15. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your intentionality in these stories through the Bible and in your life. Thank you for the way you relate to us and meet us in our own customs. I pray for guidance as we read your scriptures and attempt to relate to something much bigger than us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.